First Peter chapter 2, we're picking up our study. <clears throat> we'll begin reading today with verse 18. First Peter chapter 2, verse 18. <clears throat> Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if, when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. As we've worked our way into this new section of Peter's letter, you remember that back in verse 11 and verse 12, Peter is calling for Christians to live holy lives. He said in verse 11, Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. But he tells us to do that. He tells his readers in this day, and by extension to us, to do these things, to have our conduct honorable among the unbelievers, the pagans in the world, for a purpose. He says that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. And so the theme has been clear as we've worked our way this far into Peter's letter that as we have hope in Christ... As we rest in His promises, as we've put our trust in the Lord Jesus, we have our hope in this life and in the life to come, in eternity. Hope in Christ produces holy living. And holy living furthers our gospel witness. So as we hope in Christ, we will become holy followers of Jesus. And as we follow Him in holy conduct, we allow the witness of the gospel to go forth. And so this verse 12 in chapter 2 is, is a hinge in the letter. It's a turning point where from here on, Peter is starting to put these things in very practical terms. Specific context, specific ways that we are to conduct ourselves honorably among unbelievers. So last time when we looked at verse 13 through verse 17, he taught us about the Christian's relationship to human government. The Christian's relationship to authority. And the command really is simple. He gave one simple command in verse 13. He said, therefore, submit yourselves. 
Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. So as we submit to the leading of the Lord, the Lordship of Christ in our lives, as we submit to Him, we submit ourselves to those who are in authority over us. We looked at the ins and out of that last week, but it's for the same purpose. Verse 15, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. You want people to be able to trash talk Christianity? You want people to be able to put down your faith and to do it well? Give them ammunition by having a rebellious attitude. Go ahead and give them ammunition by having a freedom fighter kind of spirit. The calling of the individual Christian is to submit to the authority that has been placed in your life because all authority it comes from God. So today, in the passage that we've read this morning, Peter begins to teach us how to conduct ourselves honorably in the context of suffering. In the context of suffering. I was talking to a couple of pastors early this week, and we were talking about what we were going to preach on Sunday. Uh, one fellow was preparing a, a very explicit Mother's Day sermon. I said, well, I don't usually do holiday sermons. I just progressed through the book of the Bible that we're preaching and teaching at the time. Um, I said, and this Sunday is really all about suffering. And he said, well, that sounds like a Mother's Day sermon to me. Uh, some of you mothers can attest to that, that um, you do suffer. <laughs> and we thank you for that. He teaches us today about honorable conduct in suffering. And so in teaching about suffering and teaching us these principles about suffering, Peter's addressing, we have to remember this is a letter, and he's addressing a very specific group of people who would have heard this letter read in his day. In verse 18, he addresses this group of people. Look, he says, servants, bond servants, household slaves, be submissive to your masters with all fear. Not only to the good and gentle. Those are the ones that's easy to submit to, right? You've all worked for, some of you have worked for really good bosses, right? They loved you. They cared about you and your family. They wanted what was best for you. They wanted to see you do well. And they were the kind of people that it was easy to submit to. But probably more than some of you have worked for really good bosses, some of you have worked for some really cruel people. Those are the ones it's harder to submit to. But he's talking to slaves. He's not talking about employees and an employer merely. He's talking about servants. He says, submit to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. Now, does that verse make you uncomfortable? I actually hope it does. Because we're talking about slavery. Slavery is not a good thing, right? It's disgusting, actually. Now, we shouldn't project what we know about American slavery onto the, the um, context of slavery in the Roman Empire. They weren't exactly the same thing. But still, this idea that one person can have ownership over another person is, is really a terrible idea. So why does Peter bring it up at all? And I just want to be clear, the Bible, the New Testament especially, never endorses or puts its stamp of approval on slavery. So that's not what Peter's doing here. He's not saying slavery is a good thing, here's how to do it right. No, he's saying you Christians are already living in this context. There's really nothing you can do about it right now. This is just the world you live in. So here's how you need to be living as Christians. 
Here's how to conduct yourselves. You servants, you slaves, there's really nothing you can do about your situation right now. So while you're there, this is how you conduct yourselves honorably so that the witness of the gospel can go forth. And he tells them, be submissive to your masters. Not just to the gentle, not just to the good, but even to the harsh. So that's the context in which Peter is writing, but his words to them fit into this larger teaching about how the Christian is to to conduct himself in suffering. He says in verse 19, For this is commendable if, this is what's commendable, if because of good conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. This is commendable. Have any of you ever suffered because you did what was right? I'm sure most of us have never experienced too much intense suffering in regards to persecution, but we've all found ourselves in those situations where we really are doing the best we can. We're doing what we believe is right. We're trying to follow the Lord, but it seems like we're not going to get anywhere anyway. We're just going to suffer. And why isn't it any different? But Peter had actually experienced this himself. We've referenced the book of Acts uh, several times lately, but remember in chapter 4 and chapter 5, Peter and some of the apostles were arrested twice for preaching about Jesus. They healed the man by the gate called Beautiful. Peter and John preached to the crowd. They were arrested. The, The leader said, we order you, we command you not to speak in this name any longer, this name of Jesus. Peter said, listen, you have to decide for yourselves whether it's right for us to obey God rather than you, but we're just going to say what we've seen. We're just going to bear witness to what we've seen God do. So they threatened them, they released them. Next chapter, they're preaching again, they get arrested again. The religious leaders, we told you, we commanded you not to speak in this name any longer. And Peter answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. We ought to obey God rather than men. And then after that, they were beaten, they were threatened, and they were released. And what did they do? They went back to their church and they said, guys, we just, I don't know what we ought to do. This preaching about Jesus business is getting us in a lot of trouble. That that beating really stunk and we don't want to have to go through that again. What do you guys think we should do? No, that's absolutely the opposite of what they did. The scriptures say that they departed and they departed rejoicing. Rejoicing. They'd just been beaten for preaching about Jesus. And it says they left rejoicing. Why? That they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer. And they did not cease preaching the name of Jesus. So Peter has firsthand experience with this. He says, this is commendable if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. Let me encourage you. You follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. You obey the scriptures. You keep in line with that conscience that God gave you. It is commendable if you suffer for a conscience toward God. 
Verse 20, he continues, he says, For what credit is it if, when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? Well, of course there's no credit to you for that. What's our, our knee-jerk reaction? What's our tendency when we get caught in something that we did wrong or, or suffer punishment for something that was a fault? Well, we still try to get out of it, right? No, Peter says there's no credit to you if you suffer for what you did wrong. You should do that anyway. That's the right response. Take your punishment. There's no virtue in that. But, he says, but when you do good and suffer, when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. When you're suffering, and it doesn't seem fair, best you can tell you're trying to live in obedience to the Word of God. Best you can tell your heart's right with God and you're living for Him. You're trying to be the best Christian you can be, but nothing is going right and you are suffering. The right response the right response every single time, the right response that is commendable to God is to endure it patiently. Endure it patiently. That's not what we want to do. But that's the calling we're giving. Why? Why is it that, that the right response is to endure patiently? Because he says in verse 21, for to this, listen, listen, for to this, you were called. Why should you endure patiently? Why should you endure patiently when you're going through unjust suffering? When you're going through suffering even though you've tried to do good? Because, listen, it is your calling. It is your calling. Your vocation is to patiently endure even if you suffer for doing good. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus says, If anyone desires to come after me, you want to be a Christian? If anyone desires to come after me, he says, Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. To be a Christian is to take up the cross. What does it mean to take up the cross? The cross equals suffering. Cross equals pain. Cross equals death. The Christian life, the life that imitates our Lord, is a life of cross-bearing. Paul told the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 3, he says, No one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were appointed to this. Do you remember reading that Bible verse? We should not be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were appointed to this. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened. He says, and you know. You know. You in this room this morning, you know that, don't you? You don't need a theology lesson to convince you that Christians suffer. We don't have to do a 13-week Bible study to convince you that Christians go through suffering. You know, don't you? 
You've been there. Some of you are there right now. You know that Christians suffer. You have experienced tribulation. You have experienced suffering. Why are we surprised when it comes? But have you ever considered, has it ever crossed your mind that as you patiently endure suffering, that it is your calling? Peter says, for to this you were called. Why? He continues, verse 21, for to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Why is it that suffering and enduring patiently is your calling as a Christian? Because Jesus endured patiently and suffered for you. He is your example. If we want to be like Jesus, and we say we do, don't we? If we want to follow Jesus, we say we do, don't we? If we want to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, there's a hymn in our, in our book, it's page 550, and the chorus goes like this, Footprints of Jesus that make the pathway glow, we will follow the steps of Jesus wherever they go. Is that how you want to live your life? Do you want to walk in the footsteps of Jesus? Well, where do they go? Yes, those steps lead us to glory. Yes, the steps of Jesus end at the throne of God. Yes, the steps of Jesus will live, lead us to life everlasting with God for all of eternity. But those same steps along the way lead us straight to a brutal cross of suffering. The cross is on the path to glory. The cross comes before the crown. Peter says, you were called to this because Jesus gave you an example. But here's the thing about Jesus. He didn't deserve a single moment of suffering. Peter quotes Isaiah 53 here in, in verse 22. He says, who committed no sin nor was deceit found in his mouth. You see, here's the difference between me and Jesus. And here's the difference between your suffering and Jesus' suffering. Suffering is exactly what we deserve. Suffering is exactly what we have earned for ourselves by our sin. Why did suffering and death enter the world in the first place? Because sin entered the world. You and I have rebelled against God. We've broken His law. We have cast Him aside. We have gone our own way and thought nothing of Him with our lives. We deserve suffering. In fact, you deserve suffering beyond suffering in this life because of our sin, because of our rebellion, because we've broken the law of God. We deserve suffering for all eternity in hell. 
but not Jesus. Jesus was sinless. He was blameless. Peter says, as Isaiah says, he committed no sin. There was no deceit in his mouth. How many times have you sinned? How many times has deceit been in your mouth even today? This week? You see, we talk about suffering unjustly, but Jesus's was the most unjust of sufferings. There was no one who suffered more wrongfully than Jesus. He was sinless. He did not deserve his suffering. But in his unjust suffering, how did he respond? What was his reaction to suffering? Verse 23, Peter writes, Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he committed himself to him who judges righteously. See, when Jesus was punched in the face in the presence of the high priest, he didn't swing back. When he was held and the crown of thorns were beaten into his brow, he didn't kick at those who beat him. When they drove nails into his hands and into his feet, he didn't spit on those who swung the hammer. And when he hung on a cross naked in a shameful way before the crowds and they mocked him, said, if you're really who you say you are, come on down from that cross. Save yourself. Come on, show us you're the Christ. He didn't curse back. No, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he, was, when he suffered, he did not threaten. But what did he do instead? The scriptures say he committed himself to him who judges righteously. Jesus said those words. He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Now what's our natural desire when we suffer injustice? We want to make it right. We've got to fight back. We've got to settle the score. We've got to put them in their place. But what does the scripture say? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. It's not your job. Trust me. Trust the word of God. There is no one who will bring greater justice. There is no one who will judge more righteously than God himself. So that is why Peter says that he committed himself to him who judges righteously. Peter, being the preacher that he is, he can't help but tell you what... Jesus accomplished in his death. He can't help but preach the gospel to you. He says in verse 24, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree. That's the gospel. 
You see, for every time you treated someone unjustly, for every time you deserved punishment, for every time you have reviled, every time you have threatened, for every time that you've rebelled against God, for every time that you have sinned, Jesus bore our sins in His own body on the tree. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that in Him we might be made the righteousness of God. So says Paul. God's wrath, God's justice were satisfied as Jesus took your punishment. You see, you do deserve suffering. I deserve suffering. I deserve and you deserve the wrath of God. You deserve judgment. God being omniscient and knowing all of your sins, past, present, and future. All the wrath, all the judgment that He had stored up for you in heaven. On that three hours that Jesus was on the cross, He directed that wrath, He directed His judgment that belonged to you onto His Son. What does it mean that Jesus bore our sins in His own body on the tree? That means all the punishment, all the judgment that you deserve, God poured out on His Son when He died on the cross. He took your punishment in His death. That you might be healed. It's interesting language Peter uses, but it's not his. He quotes Isaiah again. At the end of verse 24, he says, By whose stripes or by whose wounds you were healed. What is this healing? What does he mean by that? Just from this context alone, much less the rest of Scripture, he's not talking about mere physical healing. This isn't a verse that says you should never be sick or that you should never have any problems, that you should always be healthy. That's not, that's not what Peter's talking about here. He says, by whose stripes, by whose wounds you were healed. And the answer to that simply is in the phrase before it. He says that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. This is a spiritual healing. It's a healing for sin sickness, if you will. The healing that Christ provided in His stripes, in His wounds, in His suffering, in His death, is healing from sin. Christians regenerated by the Holy Spirit, made a new creation in Christ, as Peter has said, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people. You are dead to sin. It has no dominion over you, no authority over your life. You are not enslaved to it any longer. You are not in bondage to sin. You are not in bondage to Satan. You are free because Jesus bore your sins in His own body on the tree. He died for you. He bore your sins so that you might die to sins and live 
to righteousness. Let me simply ask you this. Why do you go back? Why do we go back? Sin has no claim on you. Why do we go back to sin? What is it that you're allowing to have a hold on you? What sin has its grip on your life? What is the sin you refuse to repent of? That you hold so dearly? Why do you go back? Have you truly been born again? Because those who have been born again are dead to sin. You live to righteousness. If sin has its hold on you, are you trusting Jesus? Are you His child? If you're still living in sin, if you are still in bondage to sin, know this. Jesus died for you so that you could be dead to sin. And live for righteousness. Jesus, because of His suffering, because of His death, can give you the healing that you need in your soul. He concludes the chapter with these thoughts in verse 25. He says, For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Friends, Jesus is a good shepherd. Jesus told his disciples and the crowds in John chapter 10, he said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his own life for his sheep. Truly, he did that for you. If you come to him, he will take you into his fold. He will forgive your sins. He will make you part of his family. He will bring you healing. When the suffering of life comes, he will shepherd you. He will protect you. He will give you strength to patiently endure as you follow his example. Until the day comes when suffering is no more. And we get to spend eternity with Him in heaven. He's shepherding us. He's protecting us. He's leading us to that moment. So we can patiently endure now. So let me simply ask you this. For you who have been born again. You among us who know that you are Christians. You love the Lord. You're part of His family. Let me ask you this. Are you trusting your shepherd in your suffering? Have you committed yourself to Him who judges righteously? Are you trying to take things into your own hands? It may be that this morning in prayer you need to renew yourself to Him. To entrust yourself to His care once again. He's never left you. He's still your shepherd. He still loves you. For those of you who are not yet part of this family. You who are living in sin. Will you repent? Turn from whatever sin you're holding on to. Let go of it. That you may embrace Christ. That you may lay hold on this Savior, this Shepherd who loves you and gave Himself for you. 
He bore your sins in his own body on the tree that you might die to sin and live to righteousness. He will heal your soul if you will trust him. Would you stand as we pray? Father, we thank you for your word. You give us exactly what we need to hear. Lord, there are some here who are enduring suffering even now. And Lord, the temptation is to take matters into their own hands and not to trust you. But Lord, I pray that after the example of Jesus, that they would commit themselves to you. Return to you, their shepherd, the overseer, the guardian, the protector of their souls. And Lord, I believe there are some here who are still dead in their sins. Who are still clinging to sin. Who love it. And God, I pray this morning that you would bring them to a place of repentance. That they would see clearly the coming judgment and the forgiveness and re restoration that is offered in Christ. And I pray that they would come to you this morning for mercy. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do his work in our hearts now. In Jesus' name, amen.